Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Can I just say it is amazing to be back, okay? I hope you've missed me because I've missed you guys. Um, I told first service, I was like a kid on the first day of school. I could barely sleep last night. Um, in case you're new here, my name is Pastor Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here at NCC. I've been away the past few weeks. Um, we had a chance to visit our older son who's in the Marines in California, and he graduated from a school of infantry, and so we went out there and spent a few weeks with him. And then I've spent the past two weeks just trying to pray and ask God to, to energize me and to pour back into me. But I am excited to be worshiping again with you this morning. And I really have missed um, being here, being a part of the church family. But I know God had that time kind of set aside for me to be able to pray and, and to really dive into God's word and continue to grow spiritually. But this morning, we're kicking off a brand new series. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at this book of the Bible right here. Sometimes as we walk through series, we hit different topics. Um, but this series, for the next few weeks, we're just going to read through a book of the Bible. We're going to look at what God wants to say to us. And I realize there may be those of you in the room, maybe you've even served Jesus for a while, and you've never read an entire book of the Bible. You've read different parts of it, um, different sections. Well, if you just come for the next few weeks, You'll have that off your bucket list, you guys, okay? Because we're not going to be able to break down every single verse. We're going to hit a lot of key verses, but we will, out loud, we're going to read this book together. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can open them um, to 1 Peter. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 1. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You can turn to page 588 and um, open up that scripture together. I want to encourage you to take notes. We're going to look at some of the ways that we study God's word, what God's word is saying to us. And so this is going to be a great time together. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible in the seat in front of you, that blue book, that's yours. And you can write in it. You can underline things when I tell you to do that. Um, and we'll walk through this scripture together. Now, when the church was first starting out, they didn't have what you and I have. Like we live in this amazing age where if you're like, wait, what does the Bible say about peace? You just take out your smartphone, right? You may have a Bible app or Google and you just Google that. Um, so I wanna start by explaining how did we even get what we have? And I want you to imagine it's the middle of the week. Imagine you're living in these Bible times, in the times of the early church, right? It's the middle of the week and you hear a knock on your door, right? And so you go to the front door and there's some messenger there, okay? Says, Rome FedEx, okay? And he hands you your package. And you open up this package that he's delivered to your doorstep, and you look at it, and it's a letter. And it's from Peter. And you're freaking out, because you've never met this guy, but you've heard about him, and he knows about your church, he knows about the town that you live in. This is the guy who walked with Jesus. And you've heard stories about him. He was there when the blind eyes were open. He was there when lame people were walking. He was there at the resurrection. He saw Jesus actually crucified. And he was one of the first guys to see Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And he's written you a letter. And this is how scripture first started out. And when the church would get together, they didn't reach in front of them and grab a blue book. You pulled out something like this. And so if this letter arrived on your doorstep, you would guard this with your life. There was no other copies, okay? There's no local Kinko's or FedEx or office supply where you make copies. Like this is valuable because this is the only copy you have. And so you make sure your kid doesn't spill grape juice on it, like you guard it with your life. And then you take it 
to the morning gathering on Sunday mornings when the believers, when followers of Christ get together and you start to read this. And you read maybe a little bit of the letter and then you stop and you're like, hey, what do you think that means? And maybe someone's like, hey, I remember this story about Jesus. And when he's using that phrase, it's talking about, remember when Jesus said that? That's what Peter's talking. And so you're going over this letter. And for a few weeks, you read this over and over again as you gather together. And then whenever you're done and you've absorbed it and you've taken in everything that you can, you look around the church and you're like, okay, Joseph, you look like a trustworthy guy. And you wrap this up and you give it to him. And we all agreed together, hey, Joseph, we're sending you to the other cities because this wasn't just for us. And you're going to go and you're responsible to make sure that this letter gets to each one of them and they read it out loud too. Like we're charging you with that task. And so that's how all of this got started. That's how all of this began. And Peter, this author, he didn't sit down and think, how do I write a book of the Bible? Okay. He didn't sit down and think, how do I write this amazing letter that's going to be read for hundreds of years by people all across the world? He just had this moment where he sensed, God, I think there's something you're wanting to say to a group of people. And we believe this, that God used regular people just like you, just like me, but that he divinely inspired the words that they wrote down. And so this isn't just like your latest self-help book. This isn't just like even a good spiritual book. We believe the Bible. What that declaration says as you walk in, Scripture shapes our life. That even though this is thousands of years old, even though Peter was just a normal person like you, like me, he had struggles, he had ups, he had downs. There was times where he turned his back on Jesus, and then there was times where he was following Christ. That God did something amazing through his life as he penned these words, and that these words are different than any other book. The words in Scripture, they're different. And so as we look at this letter this morning that he's writing, I want us to understand that weight, that God was saying something to the church and that this was so valuable what they had. And, and maybe if there was something, someone smart enough in this group of believers that were there that someone made a copy, but if not, you had to try to memorize as much as you could because you wanted to hold on to those words that God was speaking, that God was saying. And so that's where Peter starts. He just starts by introducing himself. So 1 Peter chapter 1, it just simply says that. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, I, I was there. He's reminding them, I'm the one that God sent. I, I was there when God did miraculous things. I saw Jesus. I was a witness to the risen Savior. I was the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 people were added to the church like I saw the church grow. He was one of the spiritual leaders. He's saying, I'm the one that's writing you this letter. And I have something that God wants to say. And so he starts off and he gives this introduction to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Now let's just pause right there. And so he's saying, hey, here's who I'm writing this to. Those of you that are believers, those of you that are, are followers of Christ, I think God wants to encourage you. I think God wants to challenge you in some ways. I have something that I want to share with you if you live in this area. Now, I don't know any of those towns, so I had to go look at a map. So I brought one for you guys, okay? So this is where he's writing to. You can see the Mediterranean Sea right here. You can see these areas. This is um, where he's writing, and you can see some of those cities and some of those places that he's naming, and he's writing to the believers or the followers of Christ in those places. 
But there's something that he writes that you and I can quickly just kind of brush past because we're like, okay, this is just who the audience is that he puts in the first few words of this. And he says, don't forget something. You're elect exiles. Now, what he's not saying, this is part of it, but a group of these believers had had to leave Jerusalem because they were being persecuted. To be a follower of Christ during this time meant that your life was in jeopardy. And so they were hunting down Christians, throwing them in prison or killing them. Those were kind of your options. And so this group of believers said, we're getting out of Jerusalem. This is a dangerous place. And they actually went to some of these cities that Peter is writing to. But he's not just reminding them, hey, originally you used to live in Jerusalem. He's trying to remind them, you're citizens of a different kingdom. Church, don't forget, in the first few words, Peter drops this truth bomb on them. And he says, hey, don't forget, you don't just belong to that city that you live in. You actually belong to a different kingdom. You're elect exile. God has chosen you. He separated you. He's called you out. Yes, you may have a physical address in that region of Galatia, but I'm here to remind you this morning, you are a citizen of heaven. You belong to a different kingdom. Don't make the mistake of thinking you're like everyone else. God is doing something in your life. And church, what if, man, we could just stop there a little bit this morning. What if we realize that? What if you and I lived with that truth? What if we woke up tomorrow and as we got into our workplace, we realized, hey, I'm not just here because it pays the bills. I'm not just here because I happened upon this career. It was a job that helps me provide for my family. But I'm here as a representation of heaven. These people that are around me, they need to see the kingdom of God. And I'm an ambassador I'm a representation. I've been sent by heaven to this area, to this group of people, so that they can know more of what it means to live from a different kingdom, of what the culture I'm from, of what it looks like to follow Jesus and follow his ways and live this hope and this eternal life that God has given us. What if we were to live like that? Students, I know you don't want to think about it, but what if when you walk into the classroom this year, it's not, okay, who are my friends? Who did I get a class with? But you start to realize, wait, this culture of Christianity, I may be the only person carrying this into this room. The things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus said, I'm not here by a mistake. I'm not here because this happened to be AP English that was open or this happened to be the math class that they, no, I'm here because God placed me in this room. And there are kids around me whose parents may be going through a divorce. There are kids around me who may be contemplating suicide, who may not have hope. And I'm meant to bring the love of Jesus Christ. I'm a representation of heaven in this classroom. That's why I'm here. You're not on that sports team because of your amazing skills in basketball or soccer or football or any of those things. You're not in band just because you can play that musical instrument. Jesus said, I need someone there to represent me. You're in exile. You belong to a different kingdom. You're from somewhere else. And Jesus is saying, carry my presence, carry who I am. Be that representation of me. Wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, remember you have dual citizenship. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. Now it's time to bring that kingdom wherever you are at. Don't forget where you're from, church. Don't forget who's called you. That's what Peter's reminding them of. And that's just the first few words of this book. He's saying, don't forget where you come from and what God has called you and who you are. And then we go on to verse two, if you still have your Bibles open. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, 
Now, that is a lot of big words right there. So let me just quickly explain what he's saying. He's saying if you don't get anything else from this book, know that Jesus has saved you. You guys, Jesus has saved us. And God's doing a work inside of our lives. He's purifying us. He's sanctifying us. That it's through the sprinkling of his blood. It's through what he did on the cross that you and I, we were broken. We were hurt people. We were distant from God. But God has reconciled us. And so he uses this language. This is God our Father. This is what God has done. It's the sanctification of his spirit. It's his work inside of us. And we're obedient to Christ. And we've been sprinkled with his blood. Also that we're reminded Jesus has saved us. That he rescued us from the life that we were a part of. And he uses this language. He doesn't say, hey, you guys were a bunch of sinners. Hey, I know some of the addictions in your life. He says, remember, you're part of the family. God's called you his own. Remember your identity. This is your heavenly father. This is those of you that weren't spiritual, that weren't religious, that had no knowledge of God, and yet he pursued you, he chased you down. Even when you ran, even when you tried to hide in your sin, God would not give up on you. And he said, hey, you're part of my family now. I'm chasing you down. I want a relationship with you. This is the kind of God that you're serving. This is the God that I'm writing to you about. See, there were all of these mindsets because there were people there that were from other cultures. And they come from a mindset that, wait, the gods are mad at us. And maybe if you sacrifice, maybe even if you give up a human life, maybe if you walk through this ritual, maybe if you do this, that somehow you can guess God may be happy, God may be mad, but that's just what you have to do. And Peter comes reminding them, no, this is a God that loves you. This is a father that protects you. This is a dad that takes care of you. This is someone who even when you mess up, he's not gonna kick you out of the family he loves you and he wants to be a part of your life. And he's done the work. He's sanctified you. Jesus sprinkled you with his blood. This is the work of God inside of your life. Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Now, you guys, this is just the introduction. That's just the first few words of this book. And we're going to read through some of these verses. On some of them, we'll pause. On, on some of them, we don't have as much time to walk through. But, but this is the heart of Peter just starting off saying, don't forget what God has done in your life. And so if you still have your Bibles open, verse 3 says this. He ends verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I want to make sure I read every word of this book here, okay? And then verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. For he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what's he saying here? Well, that's not a word that we use a lot. So when I was reading this, and this week I read through the entire book of 1 Peter just in one day to try to get it all, and then I've been breaking down kind of verse by verse. And so as you're studying like that, and if you've got your notes, you can write this down. There's this principle when you study the Bible called the principle of first mention. So whenever you're reading something and you're like, yeah, I don't know what that means. Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about there. God, I don't know what you were trying to say. The principle of first mention, you go back to the first time this concept was introduced in scripture. So once again, imagine this is what the early church did. Okay, letter by letter by letter, right? And what do we do? iPad Google. When was the first time this was mentioned, right? So super easy for you guys to do, okay? Even if you don't know the Bible that well. When was the first time born again was mentioned in Scripture? 
Because you don't go to your workplace and talk about being born again just like in a regular sense, right? That's like a Christian term. That's like a church term. So what does that mean? Well, one of the first times this is talked about is Jesus was having a conversation with a religious person. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, and I'm paraphrasing, Jesus, you're an amazing teacher. You're sent from God. You tell me, how do I get this eternal life? How do I make it into heaven? How do I make sure that I'm living in right relationship with God? And Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And probably like you and me, Nicodemus is like, that's just weird. Like that was traumatizing the first time and there's no way I'm reliving that. And how do you even do that again? Like, how do you be born a second time? That doesn't make sense. And I was reminded of this. I was back in between services and I was talking with John Jones who plays the keyboard. And he said, Aaron, that term, it means not just born again, like redo it, but it means being born from above. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Hey, Nicodemus, you don't know it, but you've been living in death. Church, there was a point in our lives, and some of you may still be there, that we thought we were alive, but we weren't. We were spiritually dead. We were distant from God. We had disobeyed him. We had turned our back on his design and his plan for our life. We actually told God, we think we know better than you. Let me do it my way, God, because I know more than you do, and I can figure this out, so I'm going to live my kind of life. And Jesus looks, and he says, you're spiritually dead. And the sad thing is you can't fix it yourself. And so that's why I've come. And I'm here to take your soul and your spirit. And I'm here to give you a new birth. You need a clean slate. You need a fresh start. You need a redo in life. And so that's why I've come. That's why I'm going to go to the cross. Because you need a fresh chance at life. That's what it means to be born again. He's saying, I've got to take your spirit and I've got to do something new inside of it. You need to get a heavenly perspective. You're just living with what you can see in the natural, and I want to do something spiritual. And that's what Peter's reminding them. That's what Jesus has done in your life. There's a fresh life. There's a new start. There's a new birth that now you can experience. You've been born again because of what Jesus did. And then he goes on to say this. This is a living hope. There are some of you in this room, and you're still living in despair. You're still living in depression. And and I don't mean that everything becomes easy whenever you become a follower of Christ. No, but he's saying, hey, there should be a hope in your life that even when you face difficulty, that you're realizing, wait, it's not all on me. When you face hard circumstances in your life, it's not all up to me. I now have a hope that God is working on my behalf that God is the one moving in the situations in my life, that God is showing up in my workplace and in my family. And when there are struggles there and when there are relationships that are broken, that God is working on my behalf. There's this now hope that's alive inside of me. This is what Peter is saying. Don't forget this church. Jesus has saved you. He's working inside of you. He's doing something inside of your life. And so in verse four, this is what he says. Why has Jesus saved you? Because he's giving you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's saying God's doing something and God's working on your behalf, even behind the scenes, even in ways that you can't see, you need to know God's working in your life. That God, if you've given your heart, if you realize, God, I'm broken and I need a savior, I can't do this on my own. 
God's working on your behalf, even when you can't see what's going on. And he's going to show you. He's going to pull back the curtain. He's going to reveal that. Whenever I was reading this, I thought back to when one of our older sons, um, Matt, was in high school. He's our adopted older son. Some of you guys have met him. Um, And Matt was in high school. He started doing musicals. Now, I was not a musical kid in high school. I did a lot of sports and everything. I'd never been to a play or a musical or theater or anything like that. And so for a few weeks before this, Matt is at the school every single night. And he's like, Dad, we're working on the set and we're building all of these big things and it's going to be so cool. And so I was pumped for the first night. I'd love to see my kid do this and he's a great singer and actor. And so, so I show up and I'm sitting in the seats and as the thing starts, like there's these big black curtains and there's this like little kind of like wagon piece and there's a little bit of grass. And I'm thinking, you worked for two weeks on that? Like that looks just depressing, right? And people come out and they start to sing. It was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I think it was the first one that he was in. And then they pull back the curtain at some point, just a few minutes in, and there's this enormous house. And it like turns around and then there's part of the town in the saloon. And it all made sense at that point. That's what Matt's been working on this whole time. And that's what it's like in our lives, you guys. There's points in our lives where Jesus pulls back the curtain. And he's like, you didn't see it, but this is what I've been doing. This is what's in store for you. You've been thinking it's these small things. You've been caught up in this, but I'm telling you, I have so much more for your life. There's something that's not going to fade away, that's not going to perish, that's never going to diminish. This is what I'm doing behind the scenes. And church, there's so many times you and I, we live as if the curtain is all that there is. That maybe at some point far out there in the future, that's where heaven is. That maybe if you and I could get in a rocket and go far enough, fast enough, at some point we'd get past the galaxy and the universe and heaven is some physical place out there. And as I read through scripture, I see more and more God saying, no, my kingdom's right here. And you're my ambassadors and you're my representatives. And I expect you in your school and your family and your workplace to have moments where you pull back the curtain and where you show others, this is the kingdom. This is what God's been doing. God's at work. God's been moving. He's got amazing things in store. It's just, we've got to open up our eyes and see it. We've got to see what God's doing. And so Peter's reminding them, Jesus has saved you. It's because he has an inheritance. He's working something in your life that you haven't seen on your own, but God has something amazing in store for you. Church, do not fall into the rut. Do not fall into the routine that thinking this world is about all that you see, all that's right here in this moment. God has so much more in store. And Peter's reminding them, open up your eyes. See what God's really up to. Watch God pull back the curtain and reveal what heaven is like and what God wants to do inside of you. Don't just live for this moment. Live for something greater. And then in verse six, he says this, in this you rejoice. He said, this brings joy to your heart when you realize that, God, you're up to something. There's joy that comes in our life because of that. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the testing, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, hey, this brings joy, but I wanna be real with you guys. You're gonna go through some difficult times 
and some of you are going through hard times right now. Now, I want to remind you who these words are written for. This is a church living in that area that you've seen that in the first and second century experienced some of the most extreme persecution that Christians and people have ever endured. These are people that are being sewn up in animal skins and lions are let loose on them. These are your loved ones who you sit in a room like this and worship together that you know this next week, they may be caught, covered in tar, lit on fire and crucified. Peter's like, you're going through some trials. He's saying, don't make the mistake of thinking, well, if I'm a Christian, everything is perfect, right? Everything turns out okay. He's saying, no, there's some difficulties you're gonna go through. But I wanna remind you, this is to test your faith. It's like the process that gold goes through. And so I didn't know, um, you guys can see I wear, this is a plastic wedding ring, okay? So I'm not a big gold person, okay? So I don't know how gold works. Some of you guys, maybe you do. And so I had to research it. Like what's Peter even talking about there? And so there's two kind of processes that this thing goes through. There's this whole, I think it's called like Woolworth's process or something. It's like chemicals and electrodes and all of this stuff. So I'm assuming that's newer. And then there's this older process called Miller's process. It's probably what you think of if you've seen an old movie where they heat up gold really hot and it begins to melt. And then there's tiny flakes in the gold of like black ash that rises to the top. Have any of you guys ever seen this? And then you take a metal kind of netting or a metal scoop or a metal ladder or something, ladder or something like that, and you, you sweep off all of the black corrosion, all of the black stuff on top, and what you're left with is pure gold. But you only get to that point when the gold is heated up extremely hot to the place where it almost feels like it's breaking down, where the structure that was there is starting to be reformed and reshaped. So whoever the goldsmith is, can turn it into what he needs to turn it into. Do you see what Peter's doing there? He's saying, that's your life. And some of you are walking through the fire, but take heart, persevere, don't give up. Jesus is removing the impurities and he's reshaping you and reforming you into the most beautiful jewelry to display his glory and his honor. You wanna know why sometimes finances are stressful? You wanna know why sometimes you're praying and it doesn't seem like the answer is right there. The answer is what you wanted to hear. Do you want to know why you've asked that guy or girl out? And every Friday night, they have to wash their hair. It's really weird, right? And that relationship isn't going anywhere. You want to know why? God's doing something. He's using the fires in your life. He's using the most difficult circumstances and situations. And he's saying, I want to purify you. I want to remove every um, impurity, every blemish, every fault, and I want to reshape your life, and I want to reform you into what I see for you, for my glory, to display my honor, to put you out for the whole world to see your beauty. That's what I'm doing in your life. Church, don't give up because your faith is like gold. It may walk through fire, but God's reshaping you and reforming you into something beautiful. Peter's saying, don't forget God has saved you. He has a plan. And even though your life may be difficult, even though there may be hard times, God's at work inside of you. Let me read these last few verses and then close with this final thought. Verses 8 through 12, this is what it says. Though you have not seen him, 
You never saw Jesus. But let me tell you this. You believed in him. You loved him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexplicable, inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was yours, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that, they have, that have now been announced to you through those that have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look at. Peter's saying, hey, you need to realize the time that you live in. Because you start back in Genesis, people were jealous of you. They wanted to be in these kinds of moments. And Moses, as a prophet, speaking and declaring that, that one day God would send a deliverer, that one day God would bring freedom, a different kind of freedom, a different kind of salvation, a different kind of sacrifice. But he didn't see that day come. You look at people like Samuel who were prophesying, like King David who's crying out for God to bring a Messiah, for God to bring a Redeemer, for God's salvation to come to bring freedom from the troubles that we experience. Someone like Job, who in the midst of his pain and suffering says, God, can we just get an advocate? God, could you send someone that could somehow, knows what it's like to suffer, knows our pain, and could stand between us and you, God, and could defend us, could declare, could work somehow on our behalf. God, could that somehow happen? Isaiah, who writes, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given who's declaring he's coming. The Messiah is on his way. Hosea, who through his life prophesies and he marries a prostitute, this unfaithful woman, and he's a faithful husband. And he continues to tell the people of God, yeah, you'll walk away. Yeah, you'll turn your back on God, but he loves you and he's gonna chase you down and he's gonna pursue you. They were looking for a day. They couldn't see it. They didn't know when it was coming, but they said, Jesus, we know you're on your way. Your salvation's coming. And this is what Peter said. It's like the angels are peering over heaven. They're pulling back the curtain and they're looking at salvation in your life because they don't understand it. How does a God like this love a broken people like us? They wanna look into that. It's a mystery that even though we mess up, he continues to love us and he's given everything for us. This is just the intro to the book. And Peter's saying, church, don't forget, you're from a different place. You're from the kingdom of heaven. Don't forget he saved you. He's called you his own. He's changed your identity. Don't forget you're gonna go through difficult times, but he's purifying you. And this is what people have longed for. This is what the Old Testament prophets looked for. They were waiting for the time of Jesus for this kind of salvation. And you and I, we get to experience it. We're a part of it. We're a part of what God is doing.